Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. So, in episode 110, excuse me, of the Golden Hours podcast, I had Lance Tobin up on the show. Lance is one of the primary, he's the primary booking agent for the Paradise Rock Club and Crossroads Presents, and he has an affiliation with Live Nation New England. He's a boss man, understands money very well, and in terms of value, he described the business behind booking a show, the partnership of why Crossroads works with Live Nation, how Live Nation's their kind of global strategy and becoming the juggernaut of throwing concerts and venue management. He discussed the things Boston artists have to do to become legitimate enough to consider for the Paradise and Live Nation to consider booking them. He also discussed if you're getting into throwing shows, this is what you have to do. This is how you're successful. This is how you can rise above just being a slimy promoter. He also discussed what Boston is doing on an entertainment tip with their new venues. Lance is booking for a the Big Night Live, which is this big venue popping outside the TD Garden. He's describing what Boston is doing to become a more legitimate entertainment market and how if you're an artist or you're on the business side of things, you can ingratiate yourself in this community. With that being said, that's a GDP Minute. Big Fresh, take it away, brother. When you're doing 150 capture, there's always something. What, what was your worst one? Like, what was the worst moment you had at a show? Um, all right. So I was doing this show with this thrash band called Havoc. Awesome band. If that anyone... was your first mistake. <laughs> thrash, band. thrash, it just sounds like something bad's going to happen, but it's usually a fun show. Um, and it was a church of Boston, which is a venue that I was telling you about that's in back of the Shaw's, um, over by Fenway park. And there was a kid at the show who was in the mosh pit who like fell and he went to BU, super duper nice kid, and he like bent his arm the wrong way. Oh. And I watched this happen. And if you've ever done a show and this hasn't happened to you, like your whole life flashes before your eyes. Like who's gonna sue me? Who's Did gonna you see it snap? I saw it. And you know, we brought the kid outside. And, you know, we called, you know, we did everything right. Just threw him in the dumpster. Threw him in the dumpster. Let him die. <laughs> There's no evidence. Kids probably listening to this now like, oh, man, I probably, probably should have sued him. Hi, I'm Lance Tobin, and this is my golden hour. And he's a great guy. Oh, oh God, what's going on? Where am I going? Oh. Dad? Yes, my son. I am Deuce, the dear God. I'm so confused. Who am I? Derek. Your true name is Dercules. Dercules. Wait, what? Yes. You are Dercules, the god of the forest. Season 5. Hosted by your favorite podcast host, Big Bochy. You already know the deal, mother What's up? So the double clap signifies the start of an episode. And I, I've been telling everybody, as soon as I clap, I turn into a different human. <laughs> before, we, before we begin, let's address the two elephants in the room. Why don't you guys come up, say hi, introduce yourself. 
Okay, that's uh, you know that's not how you introduce yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they know me. We got Big Fresh and we got Aquaman in the building, and then to my right, I have an individual who's carrying Boston forward in terms of music and entertainment. Whether people really know it or not, I think people in your position are like actually some of the few people who can really create opportunities for a lot of people at the most base level. Would you concur? Well, firstly, it's a very, very nice compliment. Um, I'm a smoozer. I'm a promoter. We've been over this. (laughs) (laughs) Takes one to know one. Um, And I would say that, yes, I'd say one of our focuses is absolutely building acts at every level. Do you want to actually, let me give you an elaborate start to my right. I have a crossroads talent buyer and slash Live Nation. And I'm, when we continue this episode, I'm going to ask you kind of what the distinction is. But sure. Lance Tobin is in the building. Thank you, sir. There's no... It's a pleasure nice. to be here. <laughs> yeah, do you kind of want to give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I think Connor um, sort of started it off pretty good. Uh, I book all the shows at the Paradise Rock Club. And uh, I work for Crossroads, and uh, Crossroads presents books uh, for venues in Boston, which are uh, the House of Blues, the Paradise Rock Club, the Orpheum Theater, and Brighton Music Hall. Um, We work uh, sort of in a joint venture with Live Nation, um, and uh, we also book a bunch of other venues in Boston. We book shows at the TD Garden, at Fenway Park, uh, pretty much any size venue in Boston. I think we want to service acts and agencies and managers at every single level. And that's what we do. We put on lots of different types of shows, from music to comedy to podcasts and uh, pretty much everything. And so one thing I know from being uh, much earlier in my career in terms of throwing events, you got to be kind of a psycho to do it. You do. you got to like chaos. Do you think you, you feed off of it? I think, yeah, I think uh, people don't really know a lot of what promoters do. I think they think that it's a lot of marketing, which it is, but it's a lot of, like you said, problem solving, being on the ball, creating, um, sort of continuity with different types of shows where there can be chaos. And that's kind of what we do at the venues is we kind of specialize in dealing with, you know, uh, the PM at paradise would say, and Oh, by the way, kind of a situation. So uh, I think that's part of what it is. It's definitely chaos, but I think, you know, I work with a team of people that are very, very good at dealing with this thing. Elaborate on what you mean, oh, by the way. Like, oh, by the way, there's something. And oh, by the way is like an unpredictable kind of a situation. I think you do well in the concert industry to let everyone know about every single detail so there's no unpredictable kind of things that come up. But they do, um, you know, sometimes because things could change. um, And we try to be good at fixing that. And I think that's really what I'm – really the most proud of, I think, is that we run a company that can handle any kind of show and really do well with it. And I think you see lots of companies that focus on one thing, and that's great. But to be able, but to, be able to grow to a point where you've dealt with this stuff hands-on and do lots of different you know, kinds of shows, that's like where you have to be part of something bigger than yourself, to be part of a team. And it's great to be part of this team, and I think we do a very, very good job. Well, for a while, you were on your own, right? Was it, was it LT Live Presents? It was LT Live. Um, LT for Lance Tobin. Yeah, I was doing shows with my own money, which, uh, you know, sometimes can go well, sometimes cannot go well. I think it's lots scary. of swings. Yeah. Very scary. <laughs> but I think you definitely learn a lot. And, um, yeah, I definitely wouldn't be booking shows at this level um, if I didn't start out doing those. I think that's what gave me the confidence and um, the experience to, to book all those shows, yeah. So how did you network to a point from being like a local promoter? Because I remember you said you had started with the Middle East 
as did I. I'm like a younger you, man. Yeah, dude. Honestly. You're like my big bro. You're killing it. You got, dude, you definitely got the fire. Uh, yeah, man, you definitely got the talent. Um, so, well, so, yeah, can you give a quick startup of you being the accountant, hating being an accountant, switching over to going to Berkeley and that whole circus? Yeah, I'll try not to be too long-winded. Does it feel like there. a past life? It does. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Um, ten, 10 years ago now, I think, was when I first moved here. But, yeah, I was a tax accountant in Florida, and I grew up in Boca Raton. A lot of doctors and lawyers and tax accountants and car insurance and people doing that type of stuff. Not a lot of people going to the arts and um, I was doing taxes. I had my own company. Things were going well, but I just wasn't really satisfied with my life. And one night on a whim, just sort of threw everything at, at Berkeley. And um, I got in. I came up here. I learned about the music business and um, kind of slowly transitioned out of doing taxes. Well, one, is that my phone going off? I'm not annoying anybody. Would you mind just catch Wasim, obviously. Um, can you just rewind a little bit? So you were actually running your own accounting practice, though, right? Yeah, it was called Tobin Tax Preparation and Accounting Services, and we did mostly young startups. Uh, South Florida, there's no state income tax, and it's very, you know, like advantageous for people that are sort of wealthier to start up businesses. And um, we saw all different types of businesses, but in Florida, you deal with a lot of housing, a lot of stuff like that. So we did a hardwood flooring company. I mean, I had a lot of plumbers. I had a lot of AC guys. Um, how, but, did, how did you acquire your accounting senses in your family? Um, it's weird. I went to a high school, a public Florida high school, which I know we have a rep for not having such great public schools, but in Boca Raton, Spanish River High School has a class that teaches you how to do books and they have two levels of financial accounting and um, I was fortunate to take them and yeah, they make you go through a tax return. And I think if you like it, um, there's a lot of businesses that are looking for help to do this. So I started off working for a very, very small specialized firm. This is pre-college, right? This is, yeah, this is basically um, when I was coming out of high school, um, when I was first getting into college, yeah. And I started doing all this stuff. Um, but oh, there so you've was been a, hustling since way back. I've been doing taxes since I was a young teenager, um, doing it earning money since I was probably 19, 20 years old. And then I just grew it from there. But I think music was always in the back of my head as something that I wanted to do. And this was always just kind of a stepping stone to get up here and to be doing this. And I'm thrilled to be doing this. But it gave you kind of a, a base business sense, right? Because what I'm realizing is most people who exceed in their industry or exceed within their company, everyone has one specific niche that they're good at. Inter like whether it's marketing, accounting, or management, or finance. So like accounting for me, terrible. So bad. Like let's just rip through the budget. Let's just get it done. You know what I'm saying? Marketing though. I'm good at that. Abu. He, he, he's a computer science guy. Jack, that's my bestie. But ha have you seen... um? Have you seen some like your practical business knowledge and accounting transfer over to some of the music stuff you're doing now? Yeah, I think when you work at a tax firm, um, you see lots of different types of businesses and there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of differences. But in the general sense, I think a lot of businesses need the same nurturing and need the same things. And the concert business is no different than that. You have a product, you have customers, both, um, I guess you could say internal customers and external customers. Um, you have a group of people that you have to work with. Um, 
different ownership kinds of structures and um, being you sound, able- you sound depressed just thinking about the old accounting days, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, man. It was a crazy time, but I think what you said is right. I think I definitely took something from it, and it helped me to kind of understand. Um, even just looking at the statements for the business, looking at how the venue's doing, I think that's such a big thing. But um, not necessarily something you have to know going into it. I think people who are young, who are looking to get into the business, you know, you know, you don't have to go learn all the financial accounting stuff. But I think the more you do learn with it, the more it'll help you. Um, that stuff is really, really great to know. Sure. So what Lance also has been saying is like he was. I'm sure you were you were growing your own business right when you were like 22 to 24 with the accounting stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that, it's a very rigid business, and then he totally switches completely and gets into like chaos land of booking shows. So it was was a lot of that off the precipice of just being like just kind of fed up with like the old business. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just one foot in front of the other, one step at a time. And I wasn't looking long term; I was looking short term. It's like I like doing this. I've kind of hit a point with taxes where I'm not happy. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to Boston. And then I was here and I was playing bass and I liked it. I needed to get back into the business a bit. I started to manage a young band that was only with each other for, you know, a couple of years and then they broke up. But I think that was a step. And then from that... Managing you know, around here, venues around here and stuff? I was managing this small local band called Juice. There's a lot of juices in Boston um, throughout, juice. throughout the year. There's Just Juice and there's Juice from Boston College. This was a juice from Berkeley that uh, kind of split up uh, years ago, but... Just working with them, I kind of learned, you know, lots about what different clubs need. And when they split up, the clubs were still calling me for shows. Like, do you have any other bands that could do this? And that's sort of the birth of LT Live, where I had to put a name on it. I started to rent rooms. LLC'd it. I LLC'd it, sure. Nice. But, um, yeah, that's sort of how it sort of came to, to form. I think it was one foot in front of the other. It was always conscious choices, but... When you work a job where, you know, you're not 100% happy, the main thing you're looking for when you step out of that job is to be happy with these next steps that you're taking. And it doesn't mean you're not going to put in the hard work. It just means you want to see the vision. And with concerts, you see the vision. I don't have to tell you. Every time you put on a show, you get that feeling. And if it goes wrong, you get a different kind of feeling, but you still get a feeling and you learn from it. And I knew that that was good. And I think I've been chasing that since the first day. And I'm fortunate that the shows are going well and they're getting bigger, but... Um, I still get that feeling, you know, it definitely feels good to be here. It's, well, it's a rush. Like there's nothing like if you throw a successful event, there's literally nothing like it, man. It's like, Oh man, look at all me bleeding out of my eyes. And like, look at all these people that came and had fun. Yeah. It's not about the ego of that. You did something great. I just think you're a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And you watch this whole thing work and you realize that like, Hey, this is a great city. These are great people. This is worth kind of sticking around. This is worth putting, putting all of it into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also think. There was something I realized about events. The first event I had thrown was this big club event in Providence. And I was like, okay, cool. It was successful. So I'm pumped, right? And like, cool, good for me. Like all these shorties know I just sold out this massive club. <laughs> but it was in some of the later events when I realized like, damn, bro. Like the best takeaway is like when people leave and they just have like a dope time. It's like such a good feeling. Yeah, I think I really saw it once. I was doing this show at Brighton, and we started doing this um, 
this dance night. It was like a goth dance night, and you know. For reference, can you just elaborate on dance night is because it's kind of dance a night is basically yeah. So dance night is basically like every day of the week we do touring bands, and you know they show up at four and we load in and they're out by midnight, and you know the genre is different, but we do touring bands pretty much every night. So on the weekends, once in a while, we'll do a dance night, which is not a touring band. We just hire either. It's a DJ. A local DJ. Part. It's a theme night, typically a cheaper ticket. It's a way for fans to get in to see the room that might not have had some interest in some of the bands that we were booking because not everyone's going to like everything. So that's what we call a dance night. So this was a night that was themed for goth music and very, very cool night. You know, I'm not, I didn't really grow up on goth music, but once I started to book it more, I think it's very, very cool and it's a safe show and people love it. And, um, Sounds the opposite of safe, man. <laughs> it's totally cool. I promise you. It's nothing, you know, funny going on. Um, but people, yeah, people weren't showing up in like Heelys and like they look like they, you know, like you know, like the neo the jacket and well, they might wear some of that stuff. But they're <laughs> the kindest, gentlest people that you'll ever meet. It's funny. Um, Have you ever done an insane clown posse event? Yeah, you did years ago. What um, was that like? I worked at the Palladium for for years, and um, yeah. Was was wild man, ICP, but anyway, let me yeah, let me let me finish really really quick. So I met this couple that ended up getting married at the venue, and it was this huge like seminal moment where you realize that like people are falling in love at these shows, people are figuring out their lives at these shows. Like you're creating some of these moments, or you're a part of creating these moments that are huge. And I mean, I met these people, and they're like, if you didn't do this night, then I wouldn't have met my wife. I, I wouldn't have met. The, and yeah, they ended up getting married at Brighton Music Hall. They sort of recreated the night that they met. Wow. And just being a part of that was Did like you book the surreal. Wedding? Yeah, we booked, wow. we booked the wedding. <laughs> and let me tell you something. That's the most difficult clearing a date where you have to clear holds off a date. It's like if they don't win the challenge, like they're losing their wedding date. I like, know, yeah. <laughs> that's so difficult. Did they pack the whole place for Brighton? They did well, but there was a lot of round tables, catering tables. It was a different kind of a show. It wasn't just a bunch of people, you know, kind of standing mm-hmm. around. It was table service. and It was cool. So is that fun for you, though, at this point? Like, you've booked so many traditional concerts. Is it fun getting a curveball in there? Like, oh, we could try to throw one of these events. We live for the Mm curveball. We live for proof of concept. I have a team of people that think that they could do anything. And without having too much ego, we're very confident. And I think what we do, and I think people feed off of that to book the actual bands with us. And yeah, I think when we get a curveball, like people are starting to get into podcasts now. And that's not really like a production curveball, but it's fun to do. And it's fun to promo. And it's a challenge for us. And, new uh, lighting setup, too. You got to do something a little bit new with the house lights that you probably wouldn't do traditionally, right? Absolutely. And I think lighting comes in, sound comes in. We're all sort of learning something new. So I think as we grow, not just with the technology that's at the venue, but with the genres and the type of shows, like you said, that really teaches us something. And we're all here to learn. You know, you don't want to just be a pro in your 20s and 30s and then you're in the business for 40 or 50 years and you sort of know everything it's a constant game of learning of staying on top of stuff and that's really how you know that you love it that you want to dig in every year and be challenged and be in these uncomfortable situations so for you well actually let's do a little rewind so you're doing lt live right when you transition to becoming a central booker for crossroads so i worked for um the palladium sort of as an intern uh for about a year And then I transitioned to Crossroads. I got the call, I think, in 2013. And my first day at Crossroads Live Nation was November 1st of 2013. I had worked at the Palladium for maybe a year, a year and a half, maybe a couple of years, which was cool because that was my first foray into like a bigger company. 
to work for. And I certainly... A bigger venue, too. Yeah. The you were doing the Middle East, right? Yeah, I was renting the Middle East. I was renting different venues in Boston. I think it was a time when there were just a lot more venues in Boston, and there was a lot of venues to flesh out different, like, ideas with bands. But, yeah. What I, was open back then? So you had the Western Front, uh, not too far from here, on Western Avenue. You had Church of Boston, which was walking distance from Berkeley. Um, now it's a restaurant uh, on Kilmernock Street okay. over there by Fenway. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the All these Asia. These are popular venues? Yeah. Oh, the, All Asia. These were popular venues. These were like every night of the week they had touring bands or they had like local bands. And it was very, very cool. And I think that's where a lot of the magic happened. It was like this, this hub where everyone sort of met each other. And when you lose that and you lose the practice spaces and you start losing all that stuff, it's it's tough to find the context to meet the people that you need mm-hmm. to run these things, these bands and these companies. So we, All Asia was open back then? All Asia was great. When I was playing bass in a band, I, I played there a bunch, but there was a bunch of clubs, man. But the All Asia was awesome just because they would book like any band. And they're in every and city. In the middle of Central. Yeah, you just need a venue like that. Like every city needs a venue like that. Like where can we figure out if this is going well or not? Have you checked out the lily pad in Inman yet? Oh, totally. Yeah, I did some uh, shows there two years ago, and the guy's upstairs. My guy, Gil. Yeah, he was on the show. You remember Gil? He's a super good dude, but they're basically like upstairs, and they're like, you run this show. It's your show. You find a sound person, and you get in there and do it. He's like, tell him to stop bringing all the Hennessy and the blunt and leave them outside. (laughs) So he's like, the rap shows, man, I swear. Uh, It's funny over there, man. But yeah, I think that's a great venue that's still going that's maybe underutilized a bit by some of the um, college students. But there's still some great venues in Boston, but there was a time when it was just, I mean, Boston was riddled with venues and it was a party, man. And you were at Berkeley during this time? I was at Berkeley. I was at Berkeley 2010 to 2012, and I was pretty much doing shows the whole time that I was there. And then, um, yeah, I mean, pretty much pretty much the whole time that, that, that I was there going through now, yeah. When did you decide you'd rather be on the business side and executive side of music as opposed to actually playing? I think when um, I saw that I could make a little money doing this and I was able to financially start to see the end of the road, um, with giving up my clients and you know it's a conscious process where you know people are calling you and you're looking at hiring new clients and you say yes and sometimes you don't feel good saying yes and people that run businesses know that you don't always feel good taking on more work but I got to this point where I was like I know I'm going to make money from these shows I know I'm going to do well but to be 100% honest with you I don't think that I could really afford to give it up until I got the job for Crossroads and signed a contract and started working full time and I'm grateful that I was able to uh kind of do that but yeah it was sort of a transition out of it I didn't just wake up one day and say I'm not going to do taxes anymore this is how I made money and uh I'm very very fortunate that I was able to have the freedom it was a to, seamless transition yeah to kind of do that I mean I I know people that have had more of a rocky road with it and I'm fortunate that I had that yeah so when does that crossroads contract come in? So I and for you, you're probably like, oh my god, I, I have resources now. I don't have to great, do everything man. on my own. It was great, but it was a transition. Like you know, when you're in India, I mean, you do everything yourself. You wake up every day, and whatever you choose to do, that's what the business does. I'm going to flyer today. I'm going to do this today. I'm going to do that today. I'm going to do single event oh, liability. Flyer. You know, quotes for coverage for the policy for the. I mean, you could wake up every day and literally, you know, choose what to do and um i kind of forgot where i was going with this what was the question sorry 
What was that like transitioning from oh, yeah. having resources in Crossroads saying, hey, Lance, come book for us, man? So you sort of have this team, and I think the team is really what helps you grow because it's not feasible to do everything yourself. Even if you're an indie and you're doing your own shows, you get to a point where you have to bring on an intern, and then the intern turns into the marketing person, and you hire another person to work under them. And um, I think that's the biggest thing that I would say is a benefit to working for a bigger company is you have a specialist all day I'm doing research on bands and doing numbers and figuring out how shows are going to do all day they're looking at the new social media and how to figure it out and um, everyone becomes kind of a specialist and I think as the team gets bigger you're able to get more done and certain shows are just meant for bigger companies I think because they need more labor for sure um, so I think that was really the, the biggest thing for me was having that team and you just start to feel good as you let those instincts go from being, you know, your own business where you do everything and you start to trust people and you start to give them the work and they show you how good that they do even better than you were doing it. And you're like, oh yeah, this is the right place to be. Were you hesitant at first? Yeah. And I think anyone is because you're in charge of the quality of your work, but that's the trust of working for a bigger company is not only that you're going to take care of me, but you're going to go get the best talent in the city. And I think we do a good job of that. I mean, we brought on lots of people since I've uh, been here and yeah, we have a lot of young budding talent that's in the office that will turn into some of the most talented people doing these shows. Sure. But remember, you're the boss. You can't outshine the boss. I don't know, man. <laughs> Come to the office. There's a lot of people telling me what to do, but listen, <laughs> it's part of it. <laughs> w- w- with that being said, Jack, shout out to you. Thanks for helping make the events happen. Boo, I'm excited to bring you on to some of them. It'll be fun. Um, so can you kind of elaborate on the distinction between Crossroads and Live Nation and like what the partnership is? Yeah, so basically um, I was speaking on the venues that we book. Crossroads is kind of the arm that books the clubs. Um, there's a lot of different brands that are under Live, Live Nation. Nation owns Crossroads. So it's sort of a joint venture where um, I guess they bought out uh, my boss, Don Law's company, he did concerts in Boston, like, since the whole thing kind of started, really, if you ever Don want, Law. If you ever want to look up uh, how this whole thing got started. I mean, he was a kid at BU. with he's, a guy. he's the boss, man. He really is. He really is. And um, I think he got to a point where he wanted to sell and uh, ended up buying back um, the majority stake in those four venues, uh, the Orpheum, the House of Blues, Paradise, and Brighton. And um, that became a joint venture called Crossroads. But then there's different sorts of ownership stakes in different venues. Some venues we book, some venues we manage, some venues we own. Um, But yeah, through the Live Nation Boston office, we're sort of booking lots of different shows at lots of different venues. But that's Crossroads. Crossroads is like the smaller club's arm. So you say smaller clubs, but the paradise to someone on the independent level and to artists on the independent level out here is a massive deal. Yeah, totally. It's just, you know, relative to the other venues. Relative to the big boys, like the Blue Hills Pavilion. Yeah, which is like 5,000 people and the garden's big and, you know, um, there's all these bigger venues. We would call those sort of smaller clubs, um, you know, thousand cap clubs. So what's the lily pad? Like your bedroom? Lily pads... (laughs) Like an intimate showcase room. <laughs> yeah, okay. You're being kind. Something like it's that. Like 110 people. Different rooms for different shows, and I think uh, every room offers something different. And, you know, sometimes you need a good 110 cap room. Yeah, do you ever, to like, sharpen up on your skills away from, like, a big production, do you ever, like, sign up to do a smaller room? 
like, hey, I'd like to set up like something small in this one. Well, you don't you do the Somerville Theater sometimes? So we do do that. Yeah, I book um, all of our shows, not all the shows, but when we do book a show there, I book shows at the Berkeley Performance Center, at the Somerville Theater, at the Sanders Theater, at Harvard. Um, Sanders is great. Sanders is one of the most beautiful rooms in, in Boston. So it's cool to get to do something different. Um, when I was booking Brighton Music Hall, I had the chance to go do shows at Cafe 939 and once. And that was really when I could go and take a chance on like a smaller act. Now I'm doing Paradise. There's younger guys in uh, our booking team who do those shows. And it's more like I'll go to them and I'll tell them about something that we should try something. But they already know it because that's, they what, the that's what their job is. Yeah. <laughs> so... For you, do you still do you still get the biggest rush out of um, selling a big show for the most part? Like, what's like the big rush for you? Because I'm, I mean, your story, like you're a veteran and what you're doing now. So, I guess the main reason we operate is to build bands or artists or whatever we're booking through the series of venues, and these ones that we sort of identify that we think are going to be great. And when we find one early on um, that moves through the rooms, like Billie Eilish came in and played Paradise and, uh, you know, moved this, this up. before she was huge. Yeah, it moved up pretty fast. I mean, you know. Have you ever seen that interview, that Vogue interview with her? It was so captivating. Because she's young, right? Isn't she like 16, 17? She's very young. She's like 17, and they did uh, like an interview when she was 16, and then an interview when she was 17, and she had like totally changed. Being on the road, I think, teaches you a lot, and I think she's hanging around with lots of people who are very good at their job, and she seems very bright, and I'm sure she's picking up from this. Plus, she grew up in a family where people have been in the business and have played. And, uh, and Lance is looking to book another show. <laughs> but yeah, I At think the same price that he paid the first time. <laughs> I wish. I wish. It's a lot more it's a lot more expensive than I'm sure. But watching them I think move through the ranks is why we do what we do. I think that's when you get the biggest rush. It's not necessarily the size of the show, just knowing that, you know, we don't have to give the show away because we don't have the next size room in the market. We don't have to give the show away because we don't have the smallest room in the market. We have the functionality to build bands, to build acts at every single level. And when every booker in my office gets to book the same act and we all get the feeling as a team, I know that sounds corny, it feels great. Go team! It really is an awesome feeling to know that most of the bookers in my office got to book Billy and there's a few other artists like that where they've just sort of moved up from venue to venue to venue and it's all of our venues and you know that you're able to service the agent the manager the band and they all say hey we love doing business with these guys so live nation is like actually this would be a good hashtag value question so a lot of boston artists tune into the show tune into the content we do because we had initially started out with just boston music what does it for you as a booker Excuse me, talent buyer is the correct term, right? No, it's totally. You could you could say either. Uh, Lionel got me all messed up. Booking agent, talent buyer. I don't even... You, you put the shows on. Lionel's, <laughs> Lionel's probably right. I probably listen to Lionel. Surf Mike. Um, so what is it going to... What does it take for a Boston artist for you to actually deem them as like, okay, we might give you a shot. This is legitimate. Because it doesn't happen in the city anymore where like artist i mean cousin stiz was probably the last artist in boston that actually had a substantial show at a bigger venue or even the selling out the middle east downstairs as an artist 
Well, there's, I mean, to be fair, there's been a few. I mean, Pale Hound, pretty good band, sold some some good shows here. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't mean to sound insensitive. I don't know a whole lot outside of hip hop. No, in the no, city. no, totally. Yeah, um, Ripe is uh, playing two nights at the House of Blues. My my friends from Berkeley, um, another band that we've sort of worked with. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, there's there there's lots going on in Boston, and the fact that we're able to go into smaller rooms like Once Ballroom and you know things like that and rent them, uh, Once is like three hundred something tickets. They have a hundred room cap room upstairs. You know, we'll go in there and we'll take a chance. Um, my friend Artie uh, from Berkeley moved to Brooklyn and has a young budding comedy thing going on. And we reached out to, to her, and it might do 75 tickets. But in a 100-cap room, it's a great show. Once. Yeah, it's a great show. So uh, my buddy Alex Pickert, uh, who works for us and books all of our shows at that venue. Shout out to Alex. Alex is a great dude. He's doing a great job. Yeah, we sort of reached out to Artie and made that happen. So I think all we're looking for is we want to know that other people care about it. We want to know that there's a buzz there. It's not about necessarily what we think about your music. It's, it's, what, it's business. Like It's what other people do. You have to be selling other people, and you sort of have to be selling your fans. And I think a lot of artists, you know, their goal is to sell a manager or to sell a booking agent or to sell me. But I think the main goal should always be getting fans. And there's bands that were mad. They don't have a Facebook or they don't have a, you know, like Instagram or they don't have any presence. And of course, yeah, like most bands need that. But there's some bands that just do their own thing and make it work th- their own way. And we're definitely going to give them a shot. So um, I don't think people should feel that Boston is a city where things can't happen for you. I like this. I Keep think going. people back in the day, I think, you know, it was a different business. You know, people book shows with telegrams and long distance phone calls. I mean, flyers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people have to have faith in that. Um, there's been a lot of good bands that have come out of Boston. And uh, just in the last few years, I mean, it's great to see, you know, Sydney Gish. And future teens and Vulnerable. Oh, yeah. You heard of Sydney Gish? She's Abu? fantastic. She's man. just like really like indie hipster, but she performed at uh, Boston College, I believe. She did, and she killed it. And I think there's something to be said for that. That I just think you have to do your thing and stay in your lane, and we'll always offer something that no other city offers. Is that we have hundreds of thousands of people here that go to college and that are in transition from college and trying to find jobs, and they're all here, sort of duking it out. So you have this perfect cross section that the colleges kind of create for us of different nationalities. A crossroads. <laughs> there it is. That's why he makes the big bucks. You got lots of different demos and lots of different people, and um, it's not just the people that are from Boston that are here. It's lots of different types of people that are in Boston, and they all like something different. And if you can't sell them here, it's tough to sell it anywhere because I think everybody's here. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a there's a an eclectic mix of different demographics in the city that like totally different music. Right. So, what type of steps do you think, like, a lo- let's say a local band, let's say a local hip-hop artist, for you looking down, like, you're in the, you're in the crossroads office, you're like, all right, we might take a chance on someone like this. They have to have legitimized steps, correct? They have to, what, start with a small venue, go sell at a bigger venue, sell at a bigger venue, and it's like, okay, we might be able to take a risk on someone like this because we can see them grinding. Yeah, that's what I would say. If people are um, listening to this that are younger artists or whether you're young or not and you're you know trying to make it, I think we're, we're looking for the venue that's the logical next step. If you played a DIY venue that's 50 people and you play it every month and you know you kill it, let's try 75, let's try 80, let's try 100, let's try 150. 
And then once you sell that out, let's move. Um, but sometimes so it's, it's gradual most times, or is it one venue to the next? It's gradual most times, but I think different genres have different patterns. I mean, if you're a pop act with radio, you know, it's one single. Mm-hmm. If you're a country act, I mean, you know, most country acts start out at like the House of Blues. Um, it's different for different genres. I think metal, there's a lot of bands that might not even sell a thousand tickets, but they're so consistent and they sell so much merch that they're able to do well. Different structures for different genres, different trajectories and timelines, yeah. Abu. Abu's a producer in the city. You got any questions? Um, not at the moment, no. There's a lot of good information there. I, am I providing hashtag value? Dude, you're doing a great job. Thanks, man. I'm trying. You're doing a great job. And that's a great shirt, by the way. Whoa. Can uh, people see that? Oh, yeah. They got the cameras on. Yeah, it's got it's great. We can't tell you till after, but we got one for you, man. Oh, man. I'm blushing now. Hospitality. I love it. I love it. So when... um. I think there's also a, a bad connotation with the word promoter. I used to hate being called it because they usually picture like sleazeball. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, yeah. And we've all dealt with them. And I think it's part of it. And I think it's part of the lesson. Like, you know, your first job is always not usually the best job. But like 30 years later, you've taken things from that job. Got to do business with some of the scumbags. I think it's not going to make or break your band. I think you learn these lessons. I'm not saying you should seek out doing business with these people, but when you have a bad night, you learn from the bad night. When you have a bad breakup, you learn from the breakup. Sometimes it takes being low to go high, and I think in Boston, yeah, there's still some of these guys. They're in every city. Well, there are a lot of people who realize, wait, if I set this up and I pull all the pieces together, I could make like a couple thousand bucks in a night. I could do that. That's possible. But there are tons of people who cut corners in this scene and i that's why i think there's a negative connotation with the word promoter how does a young promoter someone who wants to you know get to a point where you're at what logical steps do you think they should take like what's like lance tobin's like five morals i think on being a classy promoter okay i'll try to narrow this down but i think the biggest thing is watch and learn from the feedback of of the bands that are bigger in the city talk to them even if they're not going to work with you because they already have their partnerships, see what they think about everyone. Keep your eyes and ears open and your mouth shut, and I think listen to the people that have been there because you can go take chances and work with someone that can really, really hurt you if you do the wrong thing. Yeah, so sorry to cut you off, but that's that's one thing I, I think I've learned from meeting you recently and some of the stuff you do. Like, there are tons of politics behind this stuff. Like, you got to make sure everybody's happy, everyone likes everybody. Would you concur? Yeah, I think um, that's a big part of it is promoting shows is making a party and making a party is having good vibes and everyone has to, at the very least, be willing to work with each other and feel good about it. And if there's bad vibes with working with people, sometimes you're better served to go with someone else. For sure. It translates into the value of the show. Um, But yeah, I think um, working with the right people, I think early on, you know, you're going to make some errors, but you should listen to these people and see what they think. Like when I was here, there was a lot of young metal bands that had been here that were doing well and were sort of making buzz. And rather than going out and spending money and making my own errors, I watched from them. I learned from them what nights of the week that they were playing, what other bands they put on the bill, what, when and where they were playing shows and why. And you learned by doing. Correct. Totally, yeah. I think, yeah, you you have to watch and learn to a point, but then you have to go out and make those errors yourself. And no matter how hard you try, you're going to make them. But the errors are to be made at that level. 
and uh, those shows are crazy, and those shows are a party. And we talked about the oh, by the way. There's always an oh, by the way. When you're doing 150 capture, there's always something. What, what was your worst one? Like, what was the worst moment you had at a show? Um, all right, so I was doing this show with this thrash band called Havoc. Awesome yeah. band. If that anyone. was your first mistake. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> thrash, <band. laughs> thrash, it just sounds like something bad's going to happen. But it's usually a fun show. Um, and it was a Church of Boston, which is a venue that I was telling you about that's in back of the Shaw's um, over by Fenway Park. And there was a kid at the show who was in the mosh pit who, like, fell and he went to BU, super duper nice kid, and he like bent his arm the wrong way. Oh. And I watched this happen. And if you've ever done a show and this hasn't happened to you, like your whole life flashes before your eyes. Like who's gonna sue me? Who's Did gonna you see it snap? I saw it, and you know we brought the kid outside. And, you know, we called, you know, we did everything right. Just threw him in the dumpster. Threw him in the dumpster. Let him die. <laughs> There's no evidence. Kids probably listening to this now like, oh, man, I probably probably should have sued him. Um, but he was very, very nice about it. And, you know, I talked to him the next day and everything was fine. You know, he went to the hospital. It was fine. I don't think there was anything really wrong with it. I think, you know, we got fortunate. But I learned about single event liability insurance, and that was a big move where I think you learn that you need insurance for a show. You're not in control of everything. Things have to happen. Sometimes what separates the amateurs from the pros is making a little less money to spend money on that, playing the long game, not the short game. And that was a moment when I learned, like, hey, I'm not just a college kid drinking beer, having these fun at shows. I mean, people's lives are kind of at stake while I'm in the venue, and the biggest thing you have to keep in mind when you're doing shows is keeping people safe and that was sort of a big moment for me early on learning that no matter what show you do pop show this show that show everyone needs to be safe bad things can happen and you always have to prepare for the worst and part of that is planning for that yeah so that's another thing in a if you're a show manager or show promoter when you throw shows how much of it are you actually able to enjoy it's it's like working a shift. It's like when you go eat at your favorite restaurant, but now you work at that restaurant and you're in the weeds and it's it's busy. It's like, are you still like but, enjoying it? Yeah, but for different reasons. You have like 15 minutes that you like where you can just sit and chill, right? I think it's the personal like interaction of going to the show. I think the scene kind of becomes a family and it's just nice to see everybody. You mm -hmm. know, I moved away from Boca Raton and I'm up here and I met a whole new bunch of people and they're like my family now. And it's nice to be sort of part of that and that's i guess for me part of the fun of the show is just seeing everyone and knowing that there's not that people there for you but that they're there for the bands it, it sort of lets us know that we're all doing our job are you anxious on the day of not really not i think the production people are i'm more anxious with challenges and deals to make sure i mean that's really when we shine we sort Business. of all pass the ball around mm -hmm. and my time is to get the show to make sure that we clear the date, that the deal's right, that everything comes in, we budget for all the that stuff. you like the person, X, Y, Z. But I would say this. I don't think our production team gets nervous day of show. They're all very, very solid, and certainly we have some new people. But you get to the point where, you know, the first thing you do when you're a band is you pull up and you knock on the door, and the production team shakes your hand and lets you in, and you kind of get a feeling. I, you know, like, how do I feel about this venue? How do I feel about this person? How's my day going to go? Because they're there the whole day. And, you know, what we try to do is work with people that make people feel good. And in Paradise, yeah. 
we have this legendary guy named Billy Bud who's been in the business for years. Shout out to Billy Bud. Billy's just an absolute legend. I'm learning from that guy daily. And um, yeah, he's the one who greets the bands, and I think it's the beginning of what they feel is a very good day for them. So no one's nervous, and they're getting on stage, and we get them everything that they want. I mean, we literally are there to make them feel good, to make them feel comfortable, so that they give you guys the best show. Mm-hmm. So, quick segue. Live Nation is taking over the world. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just in Boston, <laughs> man. But I read the papers, and I think it's great to see them doing doing the things that they're doing, getting into more festivals. And Well, there's no competition, right? It's pretty much Monopoly. There's another company called AEG. There's Madison Square Garden Group. There's, the, you know, there's all these different companies that are trying to do it, but I think Live Nation is very well leveraged in lots of countries, and on a global scale, I think you know, they're doing very, very well. Live Nation pretty much owns like all the most major venues. And they did a massive merger with Ticketmaster, so they own the, the ticketing service now. And they have talent agencies, and they're huge. So, bringing that back to Boston, Live Nation is also opening up a new venue, Fenway Theater, man. Yeah. Can you elaborate I, on, on that a little bit? There's not a lot that's come out publicly, and I urge people to definitely check out what's come out online. Uh, I think there's one rendering that's out where you really see that that Fenway Triangle... Um, or I think it's Lansdowne and Ipswich meet. I mean, dude, it, this thing's gonna be fat. It's just gonna look awesome, and I think that's gonna turn into concert. Is it, it five thousand people? I think so. Yeah, I'm still like, uh, th- that's batting at a are much you, higher. Are you booking level. for that? No, I'm nowhere near that. I'm I'm working my way to get to a point where I could book shows at that level. I'm You'll still get there. I'm still very like a journeyman. Um, but that's definitely something cool that we're adding. Um, we're also gonna open this other venue that's called Big Night Live. Yes, sir. So uh, Big Night is, it was actually really cool hearing that from you, how that how you guys are crossing over. But Big Night is kind of the the entertainment company in the city that owns all the pop and clubs. And it's the Kane Brothers and Randy Greenstein, correct? Yeah, they run um, the Grand Scorpion Bar. The clubs in, in the Encore. Yeah, the Memoir, I think they just opened. So they're very good operators. And I think my favorite thing with, with them is, you know, they add something a little different to Boston, where we all, you know, grew up in these gritty clubs, which is great. And there's definitely bands for that. There's other bands that want a different setting and fans that want a different setting. And as Boston is, you know getting a little fancier, you know, we're going to offer something, I think, for that demo. And we'll still have, you know, the continuity with our product at Paradise and Brighton. But this just adds to the mix. You know, they're going to have the beautiful red lanterns that I think people are kind of used to seeing it, you know, like the big night places. And it's going to be decked out to the max. They're putting tens of millions of dollars into this venue. And bosses never this is really... right outside the TD Garden. It's going to be part of what they're calling the hub complex. It's going to be like restaurants and bars and nightlife. And uh, when I was, you know, a, a kid in Boston... You know, you know, just in college, we, we would go downtown, but it was more of just these pubs to kind of drink at. Yeah, you go to the harp, you stand outside, you go in the basement, you have a bunch of beers, you dance. You know, Fake ID. It's still going to be that same vibe, but it's going to be, I think, a much higher end type of an area. Lance is, is being political. The new venue is so going to be so immaculate. <laughs> yeah. And so it's going to be this huge ballroom and... For the most part, you're booking most of the acts going in there, right? Yeah, they're booking some of the DJs and some of the... You must have been pumped when you got this, man. Good for you. I was just excited to try something new. Like I said, just to keep learning and trying something new. And it's a different way for us to do shows. We're going to offer, like I said, more of a higher-end product. And, um, 
you know, it's going to provide a service to bands where I think, you know, they'll see what their fans like and they'll see if this is more of a venue for them or if they're more for just a regular rock club. Um, and there's no right answer. You know, there's different strokes for different folks. And well, just, must, it must be dope for you. It's like, oh, I got this brand new venue. That just I'm excited to open it, man. And I'm happy that it's going to... When is know, it opening? Uh, we think November 1st, um, but potentially soft opening with... Um, Maybe some DJs a little before that, but fresh. Still kind of in the works. Um, but yeah, just booking that has been really, really fun. You have you're married. You got a girlfriend. Got a girlfriend. Okay, yeah. Well, make, take her to the top of the hub after that thing opens. Oh you're yeah, catching man. A big check that night. No, Whoa! <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears, man. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So you're opening that up. You're bringing in a lot of the acts. One note I want to make is. I think a lot of people don't recognize in the city that, like, yes, there's this kind of division between all this independent-level art stuff, and then there's this, like, big entertainment stuff growing. What, pit stain? Is that what you're looking at? Don't don't throw my focus off again. <laughs> I got a haymaker waiting for those teeth. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> but I think there's this, there's this space in between that people don't really know how to work through. You know what I'm saying? I don't know where I'm taking this now. Jack threw me off. <laughs> thanks, that was supposed to be profound, bro. Thanks. Shave your face, man. Uh, um, Sweating it here now. Well, well, I really like the fact that Boston ha- has this like push in this frontier to bring in like really fresh level entertainment, like on a grander scale. And that's new to the city, right? I mean, I think we're talking about the same thing where people have chances here to do something great in great rooms and great venues. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, there's a casino here now. There's these fat clubs in seaport, you know, if you have a great product, I think there's lots of different, we would call them assets, but you know, venues and rooms and different businesses to try things out at. And that's, that's what makes Boston cool. I think it's like a little city, but you can come here and you can get your feet wet with this and you could see, um, if this works for you in a business sense and an artist sense. Sure. So I just had Dave wedge up on the show. Dave, he wrote Boston Strong, which was adapted into Patriot's Day, the movie. Mm-hmm. So he's like a figure in the Boston film scene that's kind of like making moves, you know? I was like, hey, man, what's going to take for Boston on a film tip to turn into like a New York or L.A.? He's like, it's never going to happen, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was very blunt about it. Do you think there's... What type of steps could Boston take to becoming a more legitimate music city in terms of business? Well, it's difficult. Like I a think label or Boston's always been a transient city because they have the colleges here and they're invested in the colleges and the college are the colleges are really invested in the city too, where they're landlords and they own buildings and um, a lot of the population comes and goes. And that's what makes it tough is if you're a manager, if you're an agent and you want to open up an office in Boston, you know, four or five hours away you got New York City. So if I want to come check out an act in Boston, I could go there. New York, I think, makes more sense for most managers and labels and the things like that. Infrastructure, right? Just because there's so many people there, um, the clients that they're doing business with, the labels and everyone, that's where they are. So it's kind of everyone is kind of interconnected to each other, and someone has to make the big splash first. But geographically, we're very close to New York, so to open up an office in Boston, it would really take more permanence for the artists to be here. 
Um, and it's difficult because it costs, you know, it costs, you know, like a ton of money. And you come out your first couple of years, it's difficult to pay the rent in Boston. Um, you elaborate on permanence. Like you, you need a, a massive artist to blow up here and stay here. You need someone to stay here. Like you look at Ripe. I mean, Ripe's a case in point where, um, you know, they could have gone to Denver for, with the jam scene and, you know, played like a Red Rocks early and done well. But they stayed here because we offer this little New England route. And they played a lot of the colleges, like UConn and Maine. And, you know, they were able to do that for not a lot of money because of how close that everything is. And that's really what made it work. And they stayed here, and they hit that run, and they kept doing it, and they grew and they grew and they grew until an agent came from New York in town, which was a fun night, um, to sign them. And I think that was really what made it work. If Ripe had moved and had to rebuild their band, Maybe it would have happened. Maybe it wouldn't have happened. I mean, they're a bunch of talented guys, so, I mean, there's a chance. There's always a chance. But the fact that they stayed in Boston and became this go-to product for so many bookers in New England, so many people were taking a chance on it that someone else had to. In comes the booking agent. The rest is history. So the biggest thing to stress is that people in Boston might not see the face-to-face with the agent and the manager but they're out there, and they're looking. They're looking everywhere. Trust me. Every agency, there's a bullpen of young talent. And what I mean by that is people that are looking to be agents and bookers, and they're interns, and they're lower-level people who are just there to try to work and get their feet wet. And they're all day, 12 hours a day. Lunch is brought in for them, trying to find new talent. If you're doing well, they'll find you. Trust me that they'll find you. And I have faith in this business that we do do a good job of finding talent and making sure that they get what they need. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it all has to happen in Boston. It would be great if they were here. But I don't think it means that Boston is less than because they're not here. The thing that makes us great is that we have the clubs for the people to go play. And you can go do all the things that you need to do to get noticed. Once we become a city that doesn't have the marketing, that doesn't have this like infrastructure for bands to be able to play, and all the venues are turning into banks and shopping centers and Target and Bed Bath and beyond, then I'm worried. But right Wait, now, is that going to happen? I mean, honestly, every time we're worried about a club closing, a new one opens. And people were talking about there's no new small rooms. You know, I think what Daniel Carswell is doing at the Hong Kong is. A godsend. I look at that new venue, the Jungle, which is a spin studio. That's Hong Kong and Faneuil. Uh, Hong Kong and Harvard Square, the uh, Chinese food restaurant. Oh, I don't know where that is. So all it takes is people who want to see bands, and they're gonna go into a venue and have a talk with the manager and rent a PA and give it a shot. And that's what Boston is. It's you know people want to see these shows. You can t- turn anything into a venue. A boo. You got to tell the Middle East gang about all this opportunity. Well. That wraps up our hour. I had a great time, man. Dude, this was great, man. Business. Shake. (laughs) Um, So this is how we start and end the episode. You say, hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after no break, hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. So I say, hi. (laughs) You just looked at me so blank. Hi, I'm Lance Tobin. This is my golden hour. And then... That was my golden hour. No, hi, I'm Lance Tobin, and that was my golden hour. Oh, hi, I'm Lance Tobin, that was my golden hour. So it's this is, and then that was. Okay. Because it's a little post-production. Okay. I'm not much of a performer, but yeah. Hey, (laughs) let's give it a try. If you mess up, so so is 89% of the other guests. Okay. And then we just go back and do it again. Okay. Which which camera do you want us on a boo? Which $500,000 camera? Okay, that one? Cool. 
Whenever you're ready, man. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lance Tobin, and this is my golden hour. And he's a great guy. Hi, I'm Lance Tobin, and that was my golden hour. Perfectly executed. My guy. Thank you, man. <laughs>